0: Hello, and welcome to the inaugural edition of Left Brain, Right Brain. I am Mike Donahue, and I have the pleasure of having Magna and Lee joining me today. Hi, Magna.
1: Hi, Mike. How are you?
0: Good, good. Um, Just for convenience sake, and because I'm drunk, I'm going (laughs) to just refer to you as M. That's fine. Um, and it's also cause I have sort of a Jane, a Dame, uh, Judy Dench, uh, fetish. Oh, so if, if we're, is. we're just, <laughs> if I can just call you M I would, I would super appreciate that.
1: That's totally cool.
0: So, Hey, talking about, uh, James Bond and entertainment, I thought we would start late today. I don't, I don't know if you know, but I think this week was a pretty heavy week, uh, for, for all of us, but I'm escaping in terms of TV and movies. So I wanted to check with you. You have your finger on the pulse O Entertainment. So what is M watching this week? What do we need to be aware of out there?
1: Okay, so I blew through a lot of stuff this week. Because as you know, I don't sleep a lot. um, So I have a lot of time on my hands at night, especially. I think we talked about this earlier this week, but I blew through the whole Jack Ryan first season. Yeah. which Meh. Uh, I Meh. haven't really seen John Krasinski in that many things because I never watched the office, but um, I kind of enjoyed it till about episode five. And then after that, my interest started to wane because I feel like they started to cram too much into the remaining episodes. So, but I blew through that in a day. So maybe it was a little bit of an overload as well. So
0: what, what should people be watching?
1: You know, I don't know if you got, if you watch The Sinner. Our,
0: if you're going to say something Bollywood, no, like let's just, I let's don't just pump have, the brakes.
1: I don't have that much time to watch three-hour movies at a time. I'll watch the serialized television before I'll watch three hours of one thing, um, trying right. to close All the right. loop on a conversation. But I I don't know. Did you ever watch the first season of The Sinner with Jessica Biel?
0: You know what? I, tr- I tried, and it was just kind of weird and creepy and meh.
1: See, I love weird and creepy, so I really enjoyed that, and I watched that a short while ago, and then suddenly I was just browsing through my cable on-demand day before yesterday, and it seems like the second Wait, season is out
0: already. Your, your cable what?
1: My cable on-demand, on you know, the on-demand feature on your cable TV?
0: Oh, I, ha- I have that, but it's called on-demand.
1: <laughs> well, in my part of the world, it's called on-demand. So I okay. found that, and... I didn't realize till I found that how much I like Bill Pullman as an actor, and oh, okay. I've i really enjoyed him and everything that he's been in, and he's never been an overbearing presence in I don't know anything I've seen with him in it, but the role that they have for him in this on this particular show is just a really well developed, very flawed, interesting character. So anyway, so that's what I'm watching right now. It's The Sinner season two and i'm always very um affected by shows that have children at the center of it so this one has a you know 13 year old boy and being a mom of a 13 year old boy i'm just hooked on this thing and just you know the story around the boy so it's it's actually pretty interesting i think i'm about 5 episodes in
0: Nice. Okay. Yeah. No, so Jessica M- Biel M- but apparently M-
1: she's a producer on it but she's not on the show. They've closed that storyline with the first season.
0: But, but so you're strongly you, you're giving a strong thumbs up to the sinner I, season 2.
1: Yeah, I like it. I think I like okay. that uh, the the location seemed very authentic and then you remember I think we've talked about it before that but the show on uh, Showtime called Leftovers. That was on yeah, a couple yeah. of years ago. So, I thought that was
0: going to be a cooking show.
1: <laughs> well, hardly. Uh, so the lady who was on that, one of the actresses who was absolutely superb, one of the lead actresses was, I think Carrie Coon is her name. She was Nora on the show. She was uh, Justin Thoreau's character's wife. Do you place her? Okay. Have okay. you ever watched that show?
0: Yeah, uh, all the way up to the last season. And then I found out, I discovered really that I didn't care what <laughs>
1: happened. The last episode of that show, The Leftovers, left me an, a complete emotional wreck. It was that fantastic. That's how I judge the show. So anyway, so, she's on the show uh, on this season of The Sinner. And she's absolutely fabulous. And it's, uh, right. I would recommend it.
0: Okay. But you, you mentioned something in there. I think that was sort of, you like your heroes flawed.
1: Well, yeah, because i don't I think the only kind of entertainment that I really enjoy is a storyline that's very starkly different from my life and my experiences. So I feel like I don't know anyone like this character, so I'm interested in knowing what they do with him. You know what I mean? So, it's like if i if I have a reflection of my life on a movie or a show i it doesn't interest me at all. Hmm. But, but I, I've never had that so I don't know.
0: I I guess what I'm trying to get to is do you, do you maybe have a thing for men who are flawed?
1: I would don't that know if you know like I'm like,
0: <laughs> you know I'm just I'm just kind of throwing that out there. I'm just just for curiosity. No, myself.
1: I I don't think from an attraction point of view because I <clears> I like good men. I mean I I like I like good people. I'm very fortunate I'm surrounded by a lot of good men so I'm kind of spoiled. All so right. well,
0: let's, let's move on. No need to talk on. about that anymore. Right? Oh,
2: okay. <laughs> All right, Mike.
1: <laughs> That's my six minutes and 40 yeah. seconds.
0: <laughs> I know where I stand. It's okay. Let's go. On. Um, so, so
1: yeah, the sinner.
0: it has been, it has been a terrible week. And um, I was really hoping you would pick a, an entertainment object that was more uplifting than something called the sinner. <laughs> but you know, it's, it's been tough. Like, can you believe, you know, it's, John McCain's funeral and and that weekend sort of gorge fest feels like a month ago. Um, in between, we've had the Kavanaugh hearings. Um, we've had the uh, classified or or considered classified documentation leaks from Booker and others. We've had uh, the op-ed from Anon. Uh, in the in the White House and uh, Trump's uh, attempt to reclassify uh, editorials as as treason, so it has it has been a tough week. And I wanted to I wanted to kind of roll back a little bit to to talk about McCain and and I, I think we may diverge a little bit. It was it was interesting to see all the different opinions about McCain. And I think anytime anybody sort of passes in our society. There's there's definitely a initial desire to, to to speak well of them, right? Speak no ill of the dead. It's pr- pretty deeply rooted um, in our in our in our culture, and when you tack on what he had done for the country, and I think his his cross party appeal, because there were there were significant periods of time in his career where. Um, you know, he was the the first thing Democrats would say if you asked him if they were middle of the road. They'd say, "Absolutely, I love John McCain." Um, John, for some reason, John McCain and Colin Powell are always the two that would get rolled out there. I guess, um, yeah. So it was. It's interesting to me to see um, that John McCain's popularity level um, post mortem is. Higher amongst Democrats than it was, it is Republicans. Democrats think more of, of McCain uh, than than the GOP does. But you know that's understandable,
1: in- Mike, isn't it? I mean, look at where we are with just the people that are the are front and center with the White House, with the administration. I mean, they're absolutely embarrassing. They're bu- it's buffoonery. So when you look at John McCain and you know, we talked about it a little bit last week, but of course he he was a great American patriot. He was a great senator for his constituents, for his party and people who believed in the ide- ideology and the agendas he put forward. But I, I really do feel that the Democrats are reacting more to the fact that he was the last remaining acceptable politician, considering who all are out there. I mean, people like, uh, you know, Paul Ryan and Mitch McConnell and all these guys, they're just absolutely hideous at this point. Who'd even want to be around these guys? So I think the Democrats took an opportunity to revere him more than maybe, perhaps, they would have um, if Hillary Clinton would have been president and John McCain would have died. I don't know. But I think they were also coming from a place of showing the Republicans what they're not. So they had a platform, they found a platform to say, look, now that was a great Republican, that was a great conservative, that was a great man, and you guys are so not that. So I think a lot of it, most of it might be sincere, so I don't want to say that they're all liars or that you know the eulogies that were given were lies or whatever you want to call it, but I think John McCain's death at this time and the platform that Obama, that Bush, had at that uh, service for him, the memorial for him, the funeral, whatever we call it, was an opportunity to say, look, this was the last of the good guys that we wanted to banter with because he was so civilized and he was this, and there was, uh, you know, he was a maverick and he was a great man. And you guys are so not. So I think it's a little bit more that than really them saying he truly was a great man. I think everybody's reacting to Trump and comparing everybody to him at this point, I think. I think that's
2: what's happening.
0: But um, do you also buy into the thought that it wasn't just, uh, you know, he was, this was a a great Republican. And, you know, I think there's a a straightforward analogy to this is the end of the the genteel or compassionate conservative or Reagan era uh, Republicans, and and sort of mourning that disappearance. Yeah, I versus have a really
1: hard time seeing him as all those things, Mike. Because frankly, again, you you've heard me say this before. He has always, ever since I've been I've lived in this country and before, I'm aware of his record. He has always voted against my interests as an American, as a woman, as a, well, an immigrant. So my, I don't know. My, my memory
0: is my memory's not that great, but he's the reason that Obamacare still exists. Sure. That's right? the one
1: last thing he did, and I'm very thankful for it. And I think that was always the, the irony of it is that not I don't know if irony is the right word, but it did happen right after he was given a piece of paper that said he is going to die. And I think before that, I don't my, mean, you know. I don't think that. I, 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 I think tech? every human that gets that note or gets those words that says, okay, now you are going to die, is the first and only time that they really have a sense of their own mortality. And I do believe that in some sense, he may have become more empathetic to the, the issues that have to do with healthcare, death, dying all those good things at that moment. It is, a, it is really interesting that this vote happened when he was recovering from surgery for a brain tumor that he knew he was never going to recover from. He's never done anything that politically that I would applaud him for before that. And I've told you this before, I blame him squarely for bringing Trump into our lives. If he hadn't brought that Yahoo Sarah Palin into the picture, I don't care who picked her for him, but she was his running buddy. I'm pretty sure that she would not have had the platform. Nobody would ever have been aware of her existence because I didn't know of her till they dragged her out. And we wouldn't have had the acceptance of Trump that we have today in most of the country. So there there are a lot of things out there. And I just feel like I, I don't applaud him for being a good Republican because very bluntly put, in my mind, there is no good Republican senator at this time. They're all voting against my interests my personal interests as an
2: American
0: so so we can we can get into that um, you know uh, thought that McCain is uh, one of the horsemen of the apocalypse dragging Trump behind him uh, but do you do you buy into the greater analogy that McCain's death also represents the passing of a our political system or a, an era in our political system in general, because you can you can dis McCain uh, with a lot of validity. But the reality is he did on several big occasions, uh, you know, join uh, across the aisle. He, he did it with Ted Kennedy. Uh, he did it with Diane Feinstein. um you know he he did work across the aisle and and I think there's a bigger concern or a bigger thought that that perhaps he sort of represented the last of of that um bipartisan era uh,
1: perhaps that's true, but what I'm also seeing this week, just to kind of bring another point into the conversation, is that the kind of bullish um what's a good word for it, the kind of bullish, outspoken senators speaking their minds that we have seen on the floor this week in the Kavanaugh hearings. I do believe that, whether consciously or otherwise, most likely consciously, because, you know, senators like Harris and Booker, they don't do anything, just, you know, they don't fly off the seat of their pants, they're better politicians than that, that they are all trying to jump into that category of being the boisterous, outspoken, speak your mind, speak for the truth, speak, you know, be a maverick in quotes kind of territory, because they're probably feeling that there's a void on the Senate floor that needs to be filled now with McCain gone. So I think well, well they're doing
0: that's 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 what a optimist would say. A Cynic would say they're just positioning for twenty Perhaps.
1: Minutes. And you know, that may both of those things could be true in my mind. And frankly, I was a bigger fan of Corey Booker ten years ago than I am now. But I am a fan of anybody that will just speak up at this point because There is a level of expected civility that has gone to the dogs in the Senate, which I think needed to be done. I think they needed to stop living under the shroud of being polite, being nice in quotes. And you know how I feel about being nice, Uh, being nice and being in quotes against civil and not, uh, you know, what was the thing? I forget now. What was the thing that the guy said to Booker? The first thing he said and his response was bring it. What was that that he said? I forget. Remind me, Mike.
0: Well, B- Booker Booker had, had uh, threatened to release uh, some of the ones that were categorized uh, committee confidential. Um, yeah, and, I'm, and I'm thinking the, of the
1: words. I mean, I, I know what the uh, issue was, but I mean, for him to say that is really not that big a deal because they're not going to expel him instantly on the floor. You know, there's going to be a process if they do expel him, if it's worthy enough of expulsion. But he got up and he said, I'm just going to say and do what I want because I'm sure his political engine behind him is telling him that, look, everybody is speaking their mind and getting away with it. You might as well do some good speaking your mind and speak for your constituents and speak the truth that the Democrat voter wants to hear. So I'm charged Mm up by that.
0: Isn't that really – aren't you really um – arguing sort of for a race to the bottom, like where, unless there's a line that's held. uh,
1: What's the line and who determined this line? There's no line, Mike. The line went away on 8th of November, 2016. And that's the most exciting thing about where we are. That's probably for me as a, as a left of the left liberal by admission, the most exciting thing for me is that Trump has obliterated this line That made all these old, stodgy, we must be polite when we need to, Democrats, not speak their mind. They need to speak for me. My senator from California in the Senate has to speak for me. Now, Harris did what she needed to do at that moment. I think that there's a lot of uh, 2020 or beyond happening there, so I'm with you on that. But it needed to be said. I mean, this guy who's up, he's probably going to be confirmed, most likely. He is. and But that doesn't mean that they just roll over and let him be confirmed like they did with uh, Gorsuch, what, not even six months ago, right? So why not bring out all this stuff to the surface so that for the entirety, I say this, that for the entirety of Kavanaugh's tenure on the bench needs to be clouded with all this information that's out there that needs to be put into the public sphere about him. Whether he's confirmed or not, he will be confirmed. We all kinda know it. But somebody needed to be able to say that look, but this is the reality of this guy. And now we know it.
0: So so when Michelle Obama says when they go low, we go high, what is what is how does that make you feel?
1: I don't think she's saying it anymore, Mike. She said it when she was campaigning for Hillary Clinton, and I have a T-shirt that says that as well, and I wear it with pride. But you know what? I don't think that that can be your battle cry, our battle cry anymore. It can't be. It just can't be because the way that it's perceived and the way it's handled by the people on the opposite side is that you're going to roll over and die because you're going to go low. I think it's over, right? So, so all the niceness. So let's
0: let's drill down. Do, do you do you agree that there's a difference between fighting tough and fighting unfairly?
1: Not in some cases. I
0: okay, don't think. Would there's, you, okay. Would you so let me, say, let me that, say this?
1: I don't think that there's any such thing as an unfair fight, given where we are.
0: But you you perceive you would say in in strong agreement. That for the last I don't know ten years or so the Republicans have fought unfairly, not just tough but unfairly.
1: I don't know if I can say they fought unfairly. They've they fought to keep their position, to keep their club, to keep their uh, majority, and the
0: Democrats. So the, have th- the things that, that the things that some people would label as unfair, like um, you know the gerrymandering or um, you know just lying. Uh,
1: Frankly, Mike, I, I think you know, the Democrats dude, were asleep on the job.
0: the yeah, Democrats
1: were asleep on the job when all that happens. All of that was happening when the Democrats were asleep at the job, or they were more worried about other things they thought were more important, and that's why we had the 2016 election. I mean, I I think well, that most things that happened with the gerrymandering if somebody was really keeping an eye on it or if somebody thought it was important enough from the democrat side they could have made a fuss about it back then and now we know and well, now we have I to think rectify it. Kind of hard
0: when you have, when you have all these state legislatures that are c- controlled by republicans and then you have the tea party wave of 2010 which which gave them the house majority like i don't i don't really know what the dems could have
1: well they done. could have tried to win more they could have tried to understand where their electorate stood they could have tried to reach across and gain some republican voters they could have tried to have a voting drive or voting drives when it's not election year i think that it's all the things that they're doing now mike because unfortunately we had to be where we are it seems like i mean all signs point to it that we had to be where we are for the democrats to really even Think of getting organized, and as much as I hate to say it, I don't think they're going to gain back majority this November. If they do,
0: the House, I, I don't really? think
1: so. But I, I should be proven wrong, is what I hope for this country. Because I, I, the one thing that's very clear to me after November eighth, like for all of us, you know, many of us, let's say, you are you are more enlightened than I am about the rest of the country's politics than I am that. My, my bubble was thick and strong to the point that I did not think it was even a remote possibility that Trump could be elected till a week before the election when one morning I was just looking at my Facebook feed and I was like, hmm, these are all the things I want to hear. How about things I don't want to hear? How come I don't get to hear things I don't want to hear? And that was a point for me where I realized that, okay, there's no way. There's no way this thing is as clear cut as it is. And I think we all woke up on November 9th thinking what the hell happened to our lives, but it, it had to happen for us to even try to get re-energized and make things happen.
0: Yeah, and, and I get that, but the, the crux of the issue really becomes that that weird democratic stance of fighting tough fighting mean um, and, and going those extra levels that were not gone through before with a constituency that, to be honest, is sort of you know the latte swilling, you know, white wine drinking bedwetting, non-conflict um, base, which to, and again, this is, this is just my observation. The the ones who are angry, the really angry ones are the women, and the energy behind the democratic resurgence is female driven. It it really is, um, whether it's here in Southern California or we saw it in uh, Georgia with the Doug Jones election uh, and the the black Alabama. female turnout. But but there's a very there's a very female energy towards this that I don't know has has crossed over into the the male set yet. Um, and maybe that's because you have more at risk, right? In terms of the healthcare, in in terms of um, the reproductive rights, et cetera. But I think there's that that th- there's a very it's a very fuzzy area of about how hard do we fight, and 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 do we sacrifice our core principles of fairness and equality and do the right thing even when it's the hard thing and taking the high road. I think those are all things that honestly resonate very deeply with liberally minded people. I think it's 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 very important for liberal minded people to want to be fair. Um, And and when we start talking about doing that or or erasing that or backtracking on that just to win. um, It put it puts people in in. Especially the people that are running in for for office, I think it puts them in a tough yeah, position. Yeah, I don't,
1: I don't agree, Mike. I think I think that we are so indoctrinated. What? We are so indoctrinated to, you know, there are certain trigger words like being fair, uh, being mean, being nice. And again, I repeat, my pet peeve is this word "nice" because it it it, it shouldn't be a qualifier to what we expect our representatives to do for us I want my representative my congressman my councilman my congressman my senator to know what the values are on the basis of which they've been elected and go out and fight for those values to protect those values
0: but they don't they don't do they don't just represent you and they don't just represent the the winning party they I mean, represent but Mike, all there's a baseline ideology
1: district. that I, I'm, I'm going to say, of course, there are differences. But forget about moderate or moderate or one end or the other. If you are a Democrat, I would think, not you personally, but just in a universal sense, if you're a Democrat, there are certain baseline principles that connect you with every other Democrat. Now, of course, there are distinctions within that. And, you know, we've talked about that. We are both you know, liberals, but we have varying opinions on some of the basic issues, you know, like let's say immigration or education or healthcare or something. But there are baseline commitments that I expect come with my vote to my councilman, my uh, to my council person, my congressperson, and my senator. It's just basic. And maybe this is where you and I are different, that I think that you have to win. You have to fight to win in politics for your ideology and your side. And fairness, fairness. So,
0: so, here's, so- here's, here's, where I, here's where I think that gets us in trouble because that has been the attitude of the right. So there are these people who very much, and I think this, this ties right into the op-ed guy the, who did the anonymous uh, thing. And, and his whole point was, Trump is a lunatic, but... Look, we got tax cuts. We got uh, Gorsuch and now Kavanaugh. We got increased military spending. So despite the fact that Trump represents a clear and present danger to the country, we're winning. We're getting what we wanted. And I think there's a lot of people on, on the right right now who have those people like Ryan or McConnell uh, or Grassley as as their representatives who don't care that those people are putting party over country because they're getting what they want and i think that's a pit of blackness that democrats uh, de- liberal and i should say sort of liberally minded people don't don't want to fall down and and it goes back to the end, like the the whole the what it really boils down to is what what is it what what are you willing to sacrifice to to win? And would you rather lose and and keep your integrity and honor, or would you rather win? And you know what? Hey, we won. We we're not you know we've got six justices but that's that what are it's all about, liberals.
1: Mike. It's that is exactly what it's about. That is what we are fighting for. That is what we should be fighting. There is, there is no such thing as lose with honor when it comes to representation in Congress and representation in the Senate. There's no such thing. And what is the honor in being polite and not pushing your agenda, your ideology, the reason why you're elected as far as you can without, in quotes, getting expelled from the Senate? Or even if you get expelled from the Senate. He was, he was speaking for me. He's not even my senator. But he was speaking for me. So I was saying, yes, I want to know why a guy who's not the guy, what was the guy's name? Again, I'm blanking out on it. The guy who was the lawyer who was in charge of classifying the documents, why does he get to do that? Why is he sitting there and telling this country that these are the aspects of this person's record that cannot be revealed to the American people? Anything that's worth hiding from someone's well, record is exactly what needs to be revealed to the American people, because there should be nothing worth hiding well, on his record.
0: <laughs> as 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 Grassley would answer you, as he did, one of the Dems who brought up that same point, or no, it was it was Lindsey Graham start well, winning exactly. some elections,
1: and that's why to win an election. So uh, okay, so I have a very simplified view of war. Okay, I'm I'm. I'm not in favor of war, but sometimes I do recognize reluctantly that war is necessary. What is the only way to win war? It's not just to magically outfox your opponent or show up an hour earlier than you told them you'd show up for battle, because that has happened historically All you know, in history it's happened. You have to have bigger weapons. You need to have more People, you need to have more guns and you need to go out and you need to outwar your opponent. And
0: But but even even when we engage in war, we yeah. have rules that we abide by. We abide by the Geneva Convention. Mike, the, only the, the army one has the rules of engagement. Both parties are
1: abiding by them, okay? When you're in Senate and the, the Republicans have gone all out to push their agenda, they've done everything they can. And I'm going to say... Everything they have done might have been, some things might have been mean or let's say unfair, but if things were done illegally, they will be found, I hope, and they will be rectified. But I'm not saying Democrats should start doing illegal things. I'm just saying that looking at how Harris was during the hearings, okay, I think that it went a little too far what she was trying to do. And I think she went out with a whimper and came in with a bang. Uh, with her questioning of Kavanaugh, but that's another discussion. But look at what Feinstein did. She represents the old guard that was playing so nice because that's how she does it. She comes in nice, and then apparently, I'm told, she sinks her hook into the person when they least expect it. None of that happened. And I was going to vote for her till last week, but now I look at Harris, and I'm saying maybe it's okay to have two junior senators in the Senate, maybe Feinstein's time is up. So I'm going to start looking at De Leon a little bit.
0: Um, I I got to be honest. I'm I'm kind of I'm picturing you as like an Antifa, <laughs> hey, like sure with a bandana and a you Molotov know cocktail. I,
1: if I was a violent person.
0: It's, it's if, pretty. If, it's if I was a violent person,
1: maybe I'd be out there. But guess what? If it comes down to it, Mike, I'm going to be out there. If that's what this country is going to devolve into then you know what we all have to decide what we need to do to protect what we stand for and again i don't like this leap that you just made but i can i can think that it was very humorous and a very attractive look as you said but i i think that that's the leap that republicans like to make i'm not calling you a republican but i'm saying just as an just as an example that if you're not what they understand then you're the worst that could ever occur. Then you're with a Molotov cocktail in your hand and with a black bandana and burning down the city, just because you're you're not the expected well, enemy or opponent that they know.
0: So I, I think what's interesting about that is that I think you do represent a, a portion of the Democratic Party that is is much sort of angrier or or much sort of um, you know out there and, and demanding a lot more from the, the democratic leadership and, and so I want to, I wanna, and I want to flip that into an instance of, of why I think that, um, aside from what you just said, but you and I have discussed the McCain, um, Arab question, uh, that came up during the 2008 election when he was campaigning, uh, and a woman in the audience, um, asked him about Obama being an Arab. And I'm, I'm just going to play that clip real quick here.
1: Okay. I don't not uh, believe in. I can't trust Obama. I, I have read about him, and he's not. He's not. He's a. Uh, he's an error. He is not. No. No. No man. No man. He's a. He's a. He's a
0: decent family man, citizen that I just happen to have disagreements with on on fundamental issues, and that's what this campaign is all about. He's not. So. And and for myself, when I when I saw that in in two thousand eight, and I think for the vast majority on on the left, that was that was a great McCain moment. We've all felt really good about it. It was like, wow! And this was at a time when Palin was saying, you know, he pals around with terrorists. Uh, you know, when when that birtherism from Trump was going around, and we were like, here you go, here's finally someone answering a question the way we would answer it. Like, no, he, he's He's a good American. What do you like what do you want? But you you've mentioned and and there's a subset on the left who really think that this was a grave misstep from McCain that it was a really a missed opportunity. And um, I can't hear you.
1: Okay. There you go. So I don't think it was a misstep per se. I just feel like it was an opportunity. He had an opportunity handed to him to take on an aspect of leadership that no other Republican candidate, Democrat candidate had ever been given before. He had an opportunity to educate America, left and right Americans, about the fact that there should be no distinction in between an, being an Arab and being a good man or a decent man. Okay? His response was absolutely horrendous. He went in there and he cemented, cemented in the psyche of all voters, liberals, and conservatives, that you can either be an Arab or you can be a decent man, when he didn't have to do that. All he had to do was to say, he is not an Arab, and even if he was one, he's a decent man. That's the distinction. Because... He took a very, very polarizing conversation, very polarizing conversation, more so in 2008 in many ways because we were in the throes of the wars, both the wars. And he took it and he took used it to his advantage, not just with the conservatives, but with the liberals as well. He absolutely didn't have to do that. It was a grave misstep. And, you know, uh, I think I had forwarded you... And Shana, an article recently uh, written, I think it was on The Intercept by one of their uh, staff. I forget the name of the gentleman. He's a pretty well-known guy. And he reminded on that article of the Bill Maher, uh, Real Time with Bill Maher episode that came out the week after. And of all people speaking my truth, what I was feeling was Ben Affleck, the actor. Who would think, right? And he said the exact same thing. He said, something to the effect, and I'm going to just speak from memory and from that article that I forwarded you, that what if he had said, what if the woman had said, I don't trust him, he is a Jew? Would McCain have turned around and said, no, he's a decent man, thereby making a distinction that you can be one or the other? And I actually, I I was actually very shaken by that, because by by making that distinction between being an Arab and being a good man, He did such a huge disservice to all Americans by taking the ignorance that people have of the Middle East, of the Arab world, and cementing it further. That, yes, there is a distinction. I've been the biggest flag bearer for both the wars that are currently on, the one in Iraq and one in Afghanistan. And he may be a terrorist, this Obama, because he never went out and said that he's not a terrorist when Sarah Palin was out there thumping with him her chest and saying Obama's a terrorist consorts with terrorists. And I'm gonna say he's not an Arab because he's a good man. And I think that was absolutely the stupidest thing he could have done.
0: So you don't you don't give any credence to the argument that it was he's he's doing a round town hall thing. He's getting question after question after question. Her initial thing was like I don't I don't trust him. And he was communicating more the point that it wasn't about him being an Arab or not. But, but it was he just- wasn't
1: doing that, Mike, is what I'm saying. From what I heard, he wasn't doing that. He was further reinforcing her point, saying that, look, you would be right if he was an Arab, then you shouldn't trust him. But I'm telling you, he's not an Arab. So yeah. he came out looking a hero because he said, oh, Obama's not an Arab, what a relief. But he also cemented the fact that, most Americans at that point and all Americans in that town hall, I'm going to say, I'm going to say pretty safely, all Americans in that town hall, given how the questions went in that town hall, think that you can't be a decent person and be an Arab at the same time, which I think was the biggest missed opportunity of McCain's career, I think, as a politician and definitely as a presidential candidate, because I was never going to vote for him anyway. And that further told me that yeah, this is the kind of thinking, and this is the kind of bigotry that I can't support.
0: So, and and so, what do you what do you attribute the fact that ninety percent of us thought that that was a good thing? Is it a, our our white privilege?
1: No, I think it's a it's a lack of information. I think it's a lack of interest in understanding the uh, Middle East and North Africa and Arab countries in general. It's, uh, it's an ignorance about uh, culture versus uh, religious extremism versus terrorism uh, versus peaceful people who just want to practice their religion or not want to practice a religion, but just people in one part of the world. I think there is still, unfortunately, A huge void in the way that Americans understand how the rest of the world works. I think it's getting a little bit better because we're getting shocked into wanting to learn more about things. But I think that I have a great disappointment about the exposure that the average American has to the rest of the world. And I don't think that white privilege has anything to do with it. I don't even use that term because. I think it's nonsensical. I
0: don't, A privilege I don't think you're is privilege. allowed. You're not think, allowed to.
1: I think privilege is privilege. And I don't think color or race has anything to do with it. You know, If people feel privileged, they stay, say stupid shit. You know? I mean, I don't think color or race necessarily in my mind has that much to do with it because you can be ignorant, doesn't matter what race you are. Not you personally, again, Mike, I clarify. Yeah. But I'm just so, saying so- that there needs, I, I don't know how to do this, but I think that, For me personally, uh, I come from a part of the world that has a lot more information and in many ways, a lot more interaction and in many ways, a lot of understanding about different cultures and different ethnicities. But I think the average American just doesn't have an opportunity to learn more. And that lack of opportunity turns into a lack of interest. And definitely, you know, the education system doesn't support it either. That the what our kids learn at high school level history is so focused on American and Western history that where is the opportunity to really even start understanding what happened in the rest of the world?
0: Because, because frankly, why bother? But here's the thing: we we are in disagreement over this, so there has to be a ruling, and I'm going to rule.
1: Yeah, you're going to rule. Why do you get to rule?
0: White privilege, <laughs> baby. White privilege. <laughs> Uh, that you're wrong, Um and and we can go on. But you're wrong. I
1: defy you. I'm not because wrong. you're wrong.
0: <laughs> you're wrong because you're you're injecting a hypersensitive hypersensitivity and a 2020 hindsight to an impromptu moment. And Mike, come
1: on, stop it. How can it be abs- an impromptu moment? How can he being Considered good enough to be a presidential candidate, having a huge election. PR machine behind him, preparing him for these things, not be ready for that question. Are you really that naive? I know you're not. On the campaign, trail, I, I don't everybody, think, I don't think... everybody, including his running mate, was supporting the Bertha theory propagated by Trump and others. They were all supporting the fact that they were calling him a terrorist, they were calling him a an Arab in a derogatory way. They were calling him a Muslim in a derogatory way. They were dragging up the fact that he his father was Kenyan and his name was Unusual! How could he not expect this question, Mike? I, 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 even, I, I,
0: I wouldn't have expected. Have I don't think I would have expected to to uh, expect that question right directly to him.
1: Maybe not directly in that form, but his being a closet Muslim, being a closet Arab, being a closet terrorist—you uh, know, fraternizing with known terrorist groups—again, an assassination. But by
0: but him. none of those came from McCain, and that's Doesn't never been. Matter,
1: but his engine. Has to have known that some Yahoo in that audience is going to bring it up that hey, but he's not even American, he wasn't even born here, or you know his birth certificate is free, or that he's an Arab. I refuse to believe that these very very sophisticated election, you know, lobbying. I not think couldn't people make bullshit,
0: and and I don't. Whoa, what what? what I'm to have to break out the beep <laughs> what? the beep tool.
1: Uh, <laughs> Why? We're free.
0: <laughs> it it, it does. the the problem the different the difference is I think is that not only it's not just a, a differentiation between not going far enough. So for for uh, for myself and for a lot of other people, it was a good response. Could it have gone farther? Sure, but you know what? It was good, and we should take it. I don't think
1: it was good, and that's where you and I disagree, because I expected, if Obama had been asked that question about his opponent, opponent, do you think he would have had that same answer, or do you think he would have elaborated upon the answer, taken it as an opportunity to teach something, insert some knowledge into that town hall? Yeah, but they they can't all be Obama. You don't have to answer that question, but I'm just saying that there are people. They
0: can't all be Obama. (laughs) Obama was his
1: opponent. Right. So I'm comparing him not because Obama is my favorite president, because Bill Clinton still is. But I'm just saying that there was a moment for him to show some real leadership and knowledge. He doesn't have that. He didn't have the knowledge himself. I think that he came from a very bigoted point of view about the Middle East and about, you know, the Arab world. I really do believe that. I don't believe... That he stood on the side of thinking that most people in the Arab world are not terrorists; they are good people, and there is a subset of bad people like in every culture that go out and do these bad things to the rest of the world. I don't think he believed that. I really don't.
0: The man is dead.
1: So what? He has you're, to.
0: Everybody.
1: Everybody. Has to be. Respected.
0: Literally. Beating a dead horse here. No,
1: but Mike, this is truth, okay? Sure, he's dead, but he lived by those rules and he was okay being that man. So he was okay being that man who represented those things. And I think that's, if one thing, that's what was refreshing about him. I think that for me, the most admirable thing about John McCain was that he knew who he was as a person. He knew his flaws and he knew what he stood for and he didn't give a shit whether you stood with him or not. And I admire that quality. So he knew what he stood for in terms of the Iraq war, the war in Afghanistan, uh, you know, his understanding of the Arab world, and he didn't shy away from it. And he never apologized for having Sarah Palin as his running mate. I mean, he owed the country an apology at least, you know, 10 years later. And say that, look, I am so sorry I brought that Yahoo into the limelight because she inspired every other Yahoo to be out there. And now we have Trump. You know, so I feel like I'm not bashing on him. This is who he knew he was as a man and he knew what he stood for. So I think I'm merely saying that I didn't agree with a lot of what he stood for, but I do admire him for his service, for you know, protecting our freedoms for his sacrifice, for his, you know, being a prisoner of war and having to, uh, you know, go through those atrocities, and I admire him for that, and I laud him for that. But I am so glad he didn't make president, and he didn't bring that Sarah Palin with him. That I, I am just so glad of that every day.
0: So, so I I don't blame him, and I think this is a, a different discussion. But I do not at all blame him for the rise of of Trump. Uh, that that. That populace was out there, and uh, Palin was a result of years of Fox News and the religious right and a bunch of other things. So to, to put it on McCain's shoulders is, I think, uh, a bit of a stretch. But Yeah,
1: but Mike, he has to take responsibility for it. He was a candidate, and he picked his running mate, whether somebody else forced him to or not. He has to take responsibility for it. Every other candidate has to. Why not him?
0: But why would he? Why would he publicly shame or embarrass Sarah, Sarah Palin that way? He he he's not that kind of guy. Do you he know how
1: publicly shamed and embarrassed she is today? That being his vice presidential candidate running mate, she was not invited to the funeral. I mean, come on. You think he gave a shit about that? I don't think he did. I think that. He just was okay with bringing her along. And I think it was his PR machine that went into high gear after and said, look, it wasn't his choice and it was this one, this one, this one. He needs to take responsibility for it. He needed to have, he picked his VP. I mean, come on. How can he not? Really? Your VP is supposed to be the guy. Again,
0: it's weird, man. He brought her that
1: close to being president of the country. I mean, come on
0: you're wrong like, so how often. Can, how weird. can he
1: bring how can he bring that person to be the next in line to be president if he at 75 73 years old was to keel over with a heart attack in office he was okay with her being president I mean come on does that not give you pause even for a second
0: Seriously. It, it does give me it does give me pause but that's that's not what we're talking we're talking about you Em, and how you represent this this whatever percentage it is of the left that's this um you know the I don't know three percent, ten percent I don't it's, care it's,
1: about percentages. It I I don't think it's about that. And I think it's it's very dismissive of you to qualify and say most people on the left accepted John McCain's answer at that town hall. I don't think there's any way well, you can it, know it, that. It, no, you can't know that. They nobody they he did not turn Democrats into Republicans that day to get him the vote. He lost miserably.
0: No, I would, I would, I feel pretty confident in saying the vast majority of the left felt good about his answer at the time and even now.
1: Well, then we've got some more work to do as a country to inform ourselves and be a little less ignorant about the rest of the world and especially cultures and ethnicities and just what people believe in. That's all I'm going to say. That's it for this topic. Next.
0: But I think what I'm trying to build to, (laughs) that you're tearing down like a tornado. (laughs) uh is is this this you are representative of the angry the angry left and hey look it's a label and i'm sticking it right on you
1: hey you know what not angry enough not angry enough. or the not angry enough enough.
0: but we you we've talked about this current set and it's interesting that um, president obama is going to be in orange county um today and it's, it's interesting that that one of the, the qualifiers that you have in, to, to vote for a Democratic candidate, regardless of where their position is or viability is on the ticket, is, is that they've had to have held these values for quite some time. They can't be a quote-unquote convert.
1: Oh, I'm not saying quite some time. I'm saying at least one election cycle. I mean, come on. There are candidates in Orange County that registered as Democrat after they decided they were going to run as a Democrat for Congress. Right. Okay, so I'm not saying you have to, there's no period of time that you have to have been a Democrat for me to get to uh, vote for you. I'm just saying, I'm going to think about giving you my vote a lot if you were a Republican in the last election where you voted against everything I believe in. So, come on. That's what I voted for. Or not the last, let's not the last, the last, the last election was 50 years of their lives. I mean, I'm not, I don't so want to how, pick on any individuals and I'm not going to take any names. You're welcome to if you want. But I'm just saying, um, no, I'm not, there are people that, people like me, I'm sure, you have
0: reservations about. But I those are people that voted, maybe, maybe they voted Republican in 2004.
1: What who What did they vote between 2004 and 2016?
0: Uh, let's say let's say they voted Bush in 04 and and uh, Democrat uh, from and 08. Exactly.
1: Again, this is something you and I have talked about. I feel that the people who voted Bush in 04 are basically the people who got us where we are today. I absolutely have no respect or empathy for people who voted Bush in for round two. They went in eyes open. Okay? Those that, didn't, that voted for him in 2000 didn't want to vote for Al Gore, were burnt out on the Clinton scandal or whatever you want to call it, fine. They get a pass. Those that voted Bush in round two went in eyes open and voted against their own interests, eyes open. What would have been the reason to vote for George Bush? Round two, you tell me. Well,
0: so I think, I think when you're talking about a very politically aware electorate, I think that's a different discussion than the, the normal kind of voting. You can be, to borrow a phrase, you can be woke and not woke. And Mike, there's I a lot of people who just kind just of vote matter, routinely. No, this,
1: this kind of This kind of uh, discussion is so meaningless because we all know what we stand for. And I come from a place, and I believe you come from a place, where your vote means something. Every, I'm going to say everyone I know that lives here in the U.S., everyone I know votes. People, This is people I know, not people on my Facebook, not like the 50 people I have on my Facebook or however many I have. These are people I know. These are people that understand that their vote is what determines in a very, very, very nuanced way that their vote determines their quality of life and the future for their children and for their families and their communities.
0: So but you, you realize you're very much to, in the minority. I don't, no,
1: I don't, because I'm not in a minority. I am in the demographic of where I live and in my community. People who are not of that demographic, I, I cannot comment on them. I don't know that they exist Mike, in my world. Okay.
0: But, but you know statistically that the vast majority of Americans tend not to vote. They'll, be, they'll maybe, maybe, what did What did we hit? Did we hit 50% in the presidential election last year? And, and local, forget local and primary. Yeah, but
1: that's neither here nor there. That's neither here nor there to what we were talking about, about being woke or not being woke. I believe that everybody who votes, let's just say for the purpose of this conversation, I believe, and you can call me delusional, you can call me idealistic, you can call me, I don't know what you called me last week I forget what that
0: wrong. was
1: wrong in addition to that you can call me whatever wrong. But i believe that everyone who votes understands the obligation that comes with that vote and that, understands, that's in, understands that's literally
0: the insane power
1: that comes that's
0: insane that i feel
1: that anyone that
0: you votes, think that everybody who votes is is doing it fully informed and fully aware of what their vote that. represents? i
1: didn't un- i didn't say that i said that every i believe that everyone who votes understands that their vote means something. They understand the power of their vote. And I don't judge them for their decisions on who they're voting for. That's their choice. They can vote for whoever they want, okay? But I believe that the people who go vote know exactly who they're voting for and they have their reasons for it. I don't think people get a pass. People who voted for Jill Stein don't get a pass. They voted for her knowing what the consequences are. I'm going to say, I'm going to insist that they knew it. People who, people who were Bernie Sanders supporters and were miffed that he wasn't the nominee, knowing that he would not be the nominee, going in, anyone in my world would know that he would never be the nominee. As powerful and
0: inspiring. Wait, as he was. Wait, slow your roll there, Hillary. Hey. No, there was not. <laughs> there was calling. not. What it was happening? not a foregone. Call. It was not a foregone conclusion. Right. It, it was, was definitely always a an foregone battle.
1: conclusion, and even Bernie knew it. It was always a foregone cl- conclusion. She had it in the bag with the nomination. Okay, she just did, and it, it it wasn't a surprise to anyone. And the issue with the with the Bernie Bros that didn't vote for her out of spite, I they're more responsible you understand, for Trump than you I You understand any
0: Trump that vote. again, statistically the number of Bernie supporters who did not vote for Hillary is fewer than the number of Hillary supporters who did not vote for Obama when she lost in the party. Yeah, but it
1: doesn't matter because that's apples and oranges. We're talking two different elections, okay? So I don't think it matters. Well, I don't think it matters. What does matter is, as we know, is the Bernie Sanders supporters that didn't vote for Hillary that voted for Jill Stein and Johnson instead i think they made all the difference that's what i believe and i think the statistical oh, so data you're... supports that to a certain extent as well
0: okay M- my head is going to explode but we're out of time
1: what Says
0: who? <laughs> yeah
1: <laughs> <laughs> what we're not going we, we got to go on to our next segment mike food and all that
0: yeah we're no I've, we have our food segment coming up next okay, but... you're not Invited, you were so wrong <laughs> on almost every single point you, in this discussion. You so are so that bullheaded kind
1: of a- that it's not even funny. You know what well, you know, and that's what you know. And you call people wrong, which is you know what that trait is called. I'm not gonna. I'm not one for name calling, so I don't resort to that.
0: I don't think wrong is name calling. It's just sort of uh, an ob- observation, really. And I'm just. I'm lucky that I'm blessed. Um with the uh, ability to always be oh, right. So that before Megna's <laughs> computer gets thrown across the room. I am gonna move us into the food segment. So Megna M, thank you so much for taking the time today. Oh, I right. appreciate I it. it. And um I think Hermes makes um bandanas. Uh if if you take one of their scarves and just wrap right. it right. If you think
1: and I'm an Hermes girl, you don't know me at all. The only logo I'll it, wear is good. my own. You should
0: know this. It'll look good when you uh-huh. launch your uh, Molotov, Molotov at the uh-huh. at the IRS. The only office.
1: logo I'll wear,
0: the only brand I'll wear, is my own.
1: Sorry.
0: Whoa. <laughs> All right.
1: <laughs>
0: Thanks, Manny. Right. I appreciate it.
1: Talk soon, Mike. Bye.
0: Bye. Okay, it is time for our weekly culinary segment. Um, this week, it's going to be called uh, Mike Messes with Meat. Which I'm kind of excited about, um, and as always,
2: messing with Shauna, meat.
0: <laughs> mess, messing with meat, mixing with meat, morphing with meat. Um, we have Shauna, who is our culinary expert, the one person we go to when we're wanting something other than Del Taco. Which I don't. We haven't talked in a while, have we?
2: No, Del Taco. Sorry.
0: Okay. So Shauna, you being the foodie, you being the expert. Where do I go to eat this week?
2: Well, right now, uh, or recently, there's been a big movement in modernizing different ethnic cuisines and uh, bringing them up to a higher level, cooking them and presenting them in a better way than necessarily, maybe not better, but just more interesting and more elevated
0: Sure. So, so I do ethnic on a weekly basis. I'm, I'm at Del Taco like nobody's business.
2: Well, we can talk about a high-end version of that.
0: <laughs> well, tell but me where to go. I'm, today,
2: I'm, actually, I was going to talk about um, the movement that's been happening in the last couple of
0: years. So just people. for a sec, real quick, should we be using movement and talking about food in the same sentence?
2: Absolutely. It, it it's like a political movement. It's it's major. It's about representation.
0: It's not really the type of movement I was thinking about, but yeah, keep keep going. Where are we going? Somewhere ethnic. I like it. I like ethnic stuff. So, so like like panda but, express, yeah. like you're talking crazy ethnic.
2: Oh yeah, very. Crazy, crazy. So Filipino food has been having a movement recently in um, the LA and Orange County area. There's been some really amazing new restaurants that have opened up. Um, These are chefs that are originally Filipino, and then they were trained in high-end restaurants where they've learned their craft cooking other types of food. Um, Lots of times... um, a French or Italian, where they have that kind of culinary training, and then they're taking that training and they're taking the plating techniques and the the better ingredients, and they're bringing it back to the food of their origin, which so is the pretty flavor, amazing the,
0: the plating techniques, like how they put it on a plate
2: absolutely because <laughs> having food is not just about you know how it tastes, it's the entire experience. so you start off when you eat something by looking at it. And that, like, teases your senses and gets you going. And, and then you smell it and you um, talk about it. All of that is part of the food experience.
0: Okay. So you're thinking Filipino. So uh, Roy's Asian fusion kind of stuff? Roy's? Um, or Roy's? It
2: probably has a, some of the similar kind of flavors. Filipino is a naturally... Slightly fusiony kind of food um, probably would be how most people would describe it as a starting point, um, because the Philippines is in the Pacific. They've been um, they were uh, occupied by the Spanish for long periods of time. They're oh, in can Asia, we not so there's
0: colonialism. Please,
2: <laughs> however, from an, a food standpoint. <laughs> they have this blend of different culinary traditions with the Spanish and then the Indonesian and um, the ingredients of the islands, as well as these Asian influences. So it is a blend. Um, A lot of the flavors are um, really unctuous. They use a lot of the ingredients that they have Uh, available uh, to uh, them in the Philippines.
0: Unctuous? The flavors are unctuous? Fatty and
2: delicious.
0: They're unctuous.
2: Yes, fatty and delicious.
0: For those of us who Um, didn't graduate high school, you want me to tell me what unctuous means?
2: Fatty and delicious.
0: Okay. (laughs) Great.
2: So um, yes, so there is a restaurant in um, downtown Santa Ana.
1: Okay.
2: There's a lot of uh, new restaurants that crop up because it's a place where their rents are lower and they can be a little more experimental um there's a nice little foodie scene down here and uh the restaurant is called irenia the chef there again is a filipino chef he trained and was head chef over at um taco maria which has gained a huge amount of acclaim here in orange county so he's gone off and he's being mentored by carlos from taco maria he's off Um, doing this uh, thing. And he's trying to do the same thing that Takamori has done for Chicano food with Filipino food, which is pretty amazing.
0: So, sorry, one more time. What was the name of it? And it's in Santa Ana?
2: Yes. It's called Irenia, okay. uh, as in Irene, which I believe was somebody he knew or his mother or somebody like that, as if I don't remember exactly. All right
0: Now, so here's my key question. Do they offer Balut? And do you know what Balut is?
2: absolutely, of course I know what Balut is, and no, not that I have ever seen. But that doesn't mean that they don't have it, because a lot of the people who work there are Filipino.
0: Do you, for, um, for the fans listening, do you want to explain what Balut is, and why it's? Well, we, it should just never be Googled? It's like one of those words you just never want to Google.
2: <laughs> it's Basically, God. a fertilized egg. Okay. Most of the eggs that we eat are not fertilized. This one is fertilized, and it's allowed to grow for some period of time. I don't know what period of time that is. So that the chicken has started to form, not entirely. So it's still in the egg in the shell. And at that time, they take the egg, and then they you cook the egg, and you eat it.
0: Well, so You, well, you, you forgot have, about the part about burying it underground for three days.
2: You don't have to get buried. If you're true
0: days. Filipino and you adhere to true Filipino methods. Coming like I do. Coming from the true
2: Filipino over there, I can like see I the culinary like expert. So you're
0: basically you're eating a, a baby chicken. Not even right. a baby chicken.
2: Well, it's a chicken okay, feast. So,
0: so for us on the left out there, if you really want to stick it to the Republicans through your culinary choices, <laughs> this This is the way. There's nothing um, that makes us.
2: You're expressing your pro choice beliefs through eating of a
0: three day buried in the ground. It's, it's, I cannot think of anything grosser to eat. And I don't want you to tell me. So we're good. Shauna, thank you. I appreciate it. I hope you come back next week for Mike Does Something Else with Me.
2: You are welcome. Hopefully, we'll talk about something that you do want to eat.
0: Filipino food okay
2: bye (laughs) bye
0: and that ladies and gentlemen on both the left and the right sides of my brain is it for this week I hope you enjoyed the show if you have any comments or suggestions check it out and post them on the uh Facebook page and I will get back to you unless it's really insulting. In that case, I'll get back to you twice. Thanks and have a great week.